Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a dramaturg, writer, and arts administrator here in Washington, D.C. It's Alexandra Lee, everybody. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for coming. And you've come here to talk about... Tick, tick, boom. They're singing happy birthday, just wanna lay down and cry. Not just another birthday, it's 39. Completing the Jonathan Larson oeuvre, I guess, because we've done Rent twice, and now we're doing this. Um, and yeah, I it's okay. Anyway, I'll just start at the beginning where I always like to start because I have things to say, but I'm sure you do. Uh, how did Tick, Tick, Boom come into your life? I mean, I'm pretty sure it comes into everyone's life along the same route, which is you get into Rent first. Um, I'd be really surprised to hear if anyone got into Rent from Tick, Tick, Boom. That's That'd be like wild. A yeah. That's a story I want to hear. That'd be pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, as many others were, I was a teenage Rent head. Sure. Uh, it was one of my most played CDs when I was in eighth grade, for sure. Sure. And um, I actually very distinctly remember the shopping trip where I got Tick, Tick, Boom. I think I oh. had, I think I had like researched different cast recordings I wanted. Um, and I went to Barnes and Noble. Mm. It was June of 2005. I remember this so Ooh, distinctly. My. Yes. Yeah. We're really, we're really getting to the details here. Love the detail. Um, Barnes and Noble back in the days where you would like pick up the headphones and put them on and listen to us. You would scan the CD sure. and then listen to each song for like 30 seconds. Oh, sure. Um, and I came home. I'm pretty sure this was with like my birthday money because um, my birthday's in May mm. and I'd saved it up. And I came home with Tick, Tick, Boom and the original cast recording of The Goodbye Girl. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my grand oh, haul. Hold on. Hold on. Hang on a second. <laughs> did, you, did you also buy The Goodbye Girl from listening to it in the little at the stall? Um. Or did you just I pick it because so. you thought, oh, hey, Bernadette Peters, you know? And... Mostly, hey, Bernadette Peters. Okay, that's fair. And okay. then, like, as I got older, I also became an avid Marvin Hamlish fan. Sure. But, um, no, definitely, like, Bernadette Peters was the draw there. And uh, I, I I, feel like I must have researched them online. At least Tick, Tick, Boom, I must have researched online and mm-hmm. not just, like, walked into the Barnes & Noble and found it. Sure. But, um yeah, I brought it home and I started listening to Tick, Tick, Boom. And I just went, whoa. Mm. I was 14. I was I'm say. sure my mind was teeming with, you know, the comparisons to Rent. Because this, I feel like this show and this album is really hard to kind of exist without that context. Mm-hmm. But um, I just fell in love with it. Thought it was a really, really well done album. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So, so you were a musicals 
person though by the time you discovered tick tick boom oh, yes, obviously absolutely. if you were into rent and deep in before so what is it about tick tick boom that really grabbed you um i definitely i in in that teenage way where you think you're thinking really deep thoughts and like you're really not was really trying to gel with this character of John and um, how he is really grappling with like whether he wants to keep composing and and pursuing this life in the arts and whether this is something he wants to do and he he says you know I want to sit down at my piano and I want to write a song that'll make people listen and remember and do that every day for the rest of my life and in my 14 year old brain I'm thinking oh my god that is what I want to I want to make performances like that I want to act and sing and have people you know remember my performance for the rest of their life like I was total stars in my eyes wanted to get out there uh and I think that it really I think that the album and the show really also pushed me towards this idea of going to New York and trying to work in show business and I of course thought that that was really dazzling Mm -hmm. and um yeah I really just thought that a lot of the songs, not all the songs, I did not love all the songs, but <laughs> that a lot of them were just so catchy and real. Mm-hmm. And now I listen to a couple of them and I'm like, what are you really saying with these lyrics? Like, well, how yes, is this, but at the time, you know, sure. Putting them in my, uh, my aim away messages. <laughs> <laughs> probably up on a zanga somewhere sure oh sure you got uh, and yes. so I think, yeah i think that the lyrics were actually like really big for me hmm that's interesting well before we get to uh, i think it's just really funny that i think we need to let everybody know what the plot was of this musical that really grabbed a 14 year old you by the horns a little bit absolutely yeah 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 so um the plot of the musical is that there is a 29 year old composer it's 1990s new york his Mm -hmm. name is john and he's trying to be a musical theater composer and uh, he's also grappling with the fact he's about to turn 30 and he's really feeling pressure to have been accomplished in his career to have a stable relationship to be making money and he's really sort of trying to navigate all of these wants and desires. Um, and that's kind of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I, I would have to say, I don't think it's a particularly substantial show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that in terms of, it's, it's really important in a meta sense for the legacy of Jonathan Larson. Oh, sure. So. I, I mean, undeniably a show that is, I mean, I think it even enters the territory of spooky in -hmm. a certain way. And, but certainly prophetic and tragic, but also beautiful that, I mean, this is one of the, basically the two shows he finished, you know, before he, and, but it was, I guess, sort of finished for him in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, yeah, because David Auburn was the one who came in and wrote the scenes right. years later. Um, yeah. And he, it is it is prophetic. That's a really great word to, to use there because John is 
trying to figure out how do I spend my time? What's the best use of my time? Um, and the question of legacy comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and he has also- a line. It, it sort of knocked me down. Uh, listen, re-listening to it. I don't remember if it was in Louder in Words or why, but it's late in the show where he sort of says something about With only so much time to spend Don't want to waste the time I'm given yeah. And it is this just sort of like, oh God, you have no idea. <laughs> like, because I mean, how could you? But like you have, life is very, very short and it is also for a show that is unabashedly autobiographical. I mean, yeah. in a way that I don't think I'd appreciated how autobiographical it was until now. Sort of. Re- I mean, I listened to this when the cast album came out, so sort of 2001. And at 21, probably thought it was fine. You know, and just sort of, oh, it was great. And I got, I love the musical allusions to Sunday in the Park with George. And we'll certainly get to that. But yeah. it, uh, but beyond that, it didn't really hit me. And re-listening to it now to talk to you, I, I think partially, partially because I just turned 40 and partially because, it, it, you know, listening to it with that close of an ear of, of sort of really paying attention to what the lyrics were, like you say, that he was writing, it, it hurts. It's a painful thing to sort of listen to somebody who will be dead in six years, you know, at the time of he performed the show in, in, in the 90s is it is a real just yeah it's it's almost too much to handle (laughs) if you think about it too hard and you say you're you're completing the oeuvre of rent and right Um, i'm just going to plug also the jonathan larson yes oh a fantastic album as as an album to explore and there is a song from tick tick boom that got cut that's on Mm -hmm. that album and it's wonderful and um which one is that? Uh, the, 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 uh, pulling me out find the key. Door closes, he freezes, he sees it's hard to end it. He lets his fingers feel the way. He loves her, he's lost her, he's hearing melancholy strings that sing the things that he can't say. That's fun because you hear him compose a lyric and then he goes back and he adjusts the lyric. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. That album, I mean, if you really want to, I think the Jonathan Larson project and also Tick Tick Boom, it's one of the, it's a funny thing where like it, it is, re- it's really important that these things exist. Yeah. Because rent is rent. Yes. And that, you know, like I said, we've talked about it twice. I'm not going to relitigate it again, but and we're not here to talk about rent, but rent has problems. And because it is his only, it's not even finished. I mean, that's the other thing of it. Rent isn't really finished. I think it's important for everyone to remember that, you know, he died on the opening night of the off-Broadway production of Rent. It was not done. He was going to keep working on it. Um, And it is so you know a lot of the problems with it you kind of have to take it that way that it's sort of like it's not done yet and so but there are a lot of issues with it and it did win the pulitzer prize it was a huge hit so it is often examined 
in the way that like I think people wouldn't hate cats so much if it didn't run for a thousand years. You know, if cats just came and went, yeah. people did it in high schools, people wouldn't care about cats, but it ran forever. So people care. Rent means a lot of things to a lot of people and was very lauded. So it's also very derided as anything that is that loved and lauded is. That makes sense. Yeah. I had um, I, had this thought when I was revisiting Tick, Tick, Boom, and I revisited Rent for the first time this week in preparation for this. Oh, wow. I, the first time I had listened to the full album in years, probably. Mm-hmm. And I just had this thought, I don't think I would like this if I heard if I heard it for the first time now. And then I listened to Tick, Tick, Boom, and I'm like, would I have liked Tick, Tick, Boom in its similarities to Rent? Or would I now be saying, well, Jonathan Larson, why aren't you showing us something different? Like, very different takes on, on yeah. his work. I mean, it's obviously an unanswerable question. I think, yeah. I think it's a piece of art, and I've never seen it. Have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom? I have fun. Yes, I have oh. a fun story. Okay, about about the first time I sort of saw it, <laughs> which was um I did my freshman year at GW in mm-hmm. DC, and um was totally not the right school for me. I was really unhappy. I wanted to be closer to home. Everything like that. At the end of my freshman year, my friends texted me from the student theater black box, and they said, "Alex, we need someone to come be on run crew for this show." do you think that you can come do it? And I was like, sure, why not? Right. And I ended up having a blast. It was Tick, Tick, Boom. <laughs> it was directed by, drum roll, please, oh. Jenna Duncan. It was the first show oh. I ever directed. Oh, wow. So I will take that to my grave as an accomplishment, having yes. worked on Jenna's first show. There you go. Had the best time with this group of people. Um, and so I watched it in a little tiny monitor off screen and I finally got to, you know, experience it. And I thought it was charming as all hell. I really okay. did. I really did. It's not like, it's not gonna win the Pulitzer Prize. Sure. But, but it, it, it it's... really captures, I think, the essence of what I mean we'll never know if it's what Jonathan was trying to get at right sure oh sure Uh, it really captures a point of view well it's important Uh, I think to say that it it wasn't a show really it was a it was a it was like an album almost he would Mm -hmm. he would perform it live it was a it was a concept album it it had a theme and it had these these moments in it but the structure of it was really created by David Auburn Mm -hmm. um author of proof fellow pulitzer prize winner author of proof and uh so it it is now i from what i my research indicated and what i know of the show it it really he did create a show that seems to be pretty much what jonathan larson would have done if he would have turned it into a stage show yeah yeah um but what's interesting about it i mean the show that kept popping into my head listening to it over and over again was strange loop um because it's another musical about someone writing a musical and it's vaguely, I mean, it not it, it's, that is a little more disguised autobiographical, but it's still hyper autobiographical of, of, of Michael R. Jackson. And mm-hmm. strange loop is a lot better and a lot more cohesive and a lot more about has a lot more theories in it that it's illustrating and working with, but what what the two have very much in common, aside from the autobiographical nature of it, is 
this hyper focus on a very simple problem like is my art worth everything that i have to put up with in order to create it and all the people that i'm going to disappoint on my way to making it and all the things i'm going to miss out on and all those you know mm-hmm. all those problems the shoe shows are have that in common that's really interesting i'm actually not super familiar with a strange loop i'm oh, waiting to so see good. If it still happens here in DC. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. It's so, it's so, 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 so good. It's so great. Um, yeah. Yes, I will be there if it happens in DC. Because um, it was announced, it was announced yeah. for, was it this past spring or it maybe it's an, next spring? I think it was announced for this fall, but it was announced like back before. before. It was certainly announced before March of, of 2020. Yeah. It may have been for fall of 2020, now that I say that. And then, because that would make more sense. And then yeah. obviously not. Uh, oh yes, I'll be there. Hundred, hundred and 120%. Um, it's a, it's a remarkable show. And if you, if you have that goal in mind, I will not tell you to run out and listen to the cast album because I can't imagine what it's like to experience that show without having heard it first, but I've heard only good things. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. But all that aside uh, it. So, but what I liked about this show in com- comparing it to rent is not fair obviously it's it's no, it's not it's, at all. it's trying to do two they're two trying to do two totally different things but the problem is we don't have anything else to compare rent to so yeah. here we are <laughs> like it's not rent is one of the biggest shows of all time and he also wrote this like it's so it's like well okay let's take a look at it but i think one of the things that i liked about tick tick boom more than rent is its simplicity I think that there are a lot of moments in Rent where it trips over itself because it's trying to be grand. It's trying to make large points about big concepts that feel very like white man 90s approaches to those concepts like homelessness mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and like all these big, big yeah. grand ideas that just feel that doesn't quite work. Whereas this is just about a guy doing a thing. And Jonathan Larson knows yeah. that like he knows this guy inside out because it's him and he's very, very honest. It's a real that's one of the things that I like. I would say favorably comparing it to Rent is the emotional honesty of, of all the characters. Yeah. Like John in particular. And I will say I did. I saw the um, city centers off um, encore off center series they mm-hmm. did this in 2014 with Lynn memo Miranda playing mm-hmm. John right. Leslie Odom Jr. playing Michael and Karen Olivo playing the female characters there you go and I will say that it was very jarring to see this show done on such a big stage in such a big space really everyone with with everyone on stage really trying to to make a statement Mm -hmm. um I almost wished that I could see it in a little black box theater again Mm mm-hmm um, because it was almost overpowered yeah by everything there yeah well and that's the clips i mean obviously as we've spoken i don't know if you've seen the sort of limited clips that have been released of the movie that's coming to netflix and then i didn't future. i saw i saw like a three second clip of andrew garfield singing in a bookstore that's it that's the clip yeah. that's all that's all we've that's got yeah yeah um <laughs> and you there know might what? Be... I, I will watch it opening day i don't care i am i am so pumped there also might be other clips of the movie inside of that like teaser the Netflix released, but who's, how do we, you know, you'd have to go frame by frame and I'm not that guy. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm encouraged for it to be a movie because you're right. 
it is a small show. It deserves a small space. And there are a lot of small musicals that can work really, really well on screen because the camera gives them so much intimacy instead of opening it up like you usually have to do to make a movie out of like a play, which is a terrible expression, but it's what people say. It's able to zoom it in. It's able to like get really hyper-focused and sort of get inside of the character's head a little deeper. And I hope that's what it does. Yeah. I'm a little interested to see how good of a film director Lin-Manuel Miranda is, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey. Uh, but yes, Andrew Gar, I mean, the cast is great. I am excited now to see. I was excited before. I'm much more excited now having, mm-hmm. having listened to it with you. Uh, but I will say that it, it's so important that this, this recording exists and the Jonathan Larson Project exists, especially the Jonathan Larson Project, because they illustrate that Jonathan Larson was an unbelievably talented composer. Absolutely. That these, both these albums are sad to me. Very, very sad because we, I really understand how much talent was lost. You know, mm-hmm. it's that sort of thing like, well, I wrote Rent. Rent's really good, but like it's Rent, you know, whatever. Like, you know, is it great? Blah, 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 blah. But if you don't have these other two albums standing next to it going like, no, look, look here, there's more. And it's all good and it's all different and it's all interesting and, and experimental and, uh, and, and just all over the place in terms of, of how great it can be. Uh, it's, it, it's a, you know, it really, I, I have to say, listening to the Jonathan Larson project the first time I heard it was a, a very affecting thing for me. It was really, really you know, emotional to just be like, these songs were so good. This one after that one, after this one, after that one. I mean, the one that knocked me over and still does. I still listen to it very regularly is Hosing the Fern. Silly little me, 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 my hair, my God, a gray hair. Ouch, Tom likes cocktail, onions, Tom nodded off again. Last night, was it me? Was it I get treated like dirt? Oh, dirt, dirt, here's a squirt. Here in, uh, for me, 4020, 40, I guess you would say, for, would have been my song. Uh, it's, what what did you at 14 experience with that song? Of it being, <laughs> because, I mean, I'm just trying to put myself in the headspace of it being like, it's, it's the early 2000s, you said, right? Yeah, 2005. 2005. 2005. And, you know, you're... 14 and going on 15 as the song would say and you encounter this character who's having a crisis of like turning 30 which i can at least relate to in a kind of way of being like i remember that a and b slow down but you know 
and and also somebody who remembers 1990. <laughs> so you, as someone who at the time you heard it, didn't know what thir- like 30, I'm sure, just seemed like the moon. A and B. Yeah. Uh, wasn't born in wasn't born in 1990 what did you how did how did that i'm just so interested in how like this is the opening song and it's a great song and it grabs me how did it grab you when you were when you were younger definitely definitely did not connect on the level of like turning 30 and being an adult and what does this mean but i really connected on this idea of like this is a time of transition and kind of a time of personal reckoning mm. um i had just graduated middle school and was heading into a new high school. Um, And so I was about to kind of change scenes, change the people I was around, kind of preparing myself for this new chapter. And um, another fun fact, I'm gonna bring it back to Rent just because we're talking about Jonathan Larson. It's gonna happen a lot, gang. You know. My uh, my high school was mentioned in Rent. So I just wanted to give that oh, a out. What was your high um, school? Miss Porter's where Joanne learns to tango with the French ambassador's daughter. Oh my gosh. And so you see all the, all the threads, it's all connected. Oh my gosh, funny. Uh, and so I definitely was kind of figuring out with myself, like, where does music stand in my life? Like, where does theater stand in my life? Because, you know, high school is supposed to prepare you for college, and then you have to figure out adulthood. And so I I kind of felt in my young adulthood that I was reckoning on a kind of proto level mm-hmm. with what Jonathan Larson was reckoning with. Hilarious to think about now that I am a few months away from turning 30. <laughs> but it is, it, it is a good point, though, that I think one of the reasons this show would appeal and might last a little better, like, well, certainly will stand the test of time better than, than Rent will beat to beat. I don't mean in general, like no one's staging a 50th anniversary concert version of Tick, Tick, Boom, probably. Though, who knows? But- Oh, I would. Well, like you, a million percent. It won't, be, it won't be on Netflix would be my <laughs> sort of next thing. That. But well, maybe it will. They have the rights to the movie. Anyway, I'm t- prove, talking against myself. You understand. The, the thing of it is, is that Everyone does go through that. Everyone goes through periods of transition where you have a clear line of like, this was then and tomorrow is different. And eighth grade might be one of the first really big ones. I mean, my son's about to finish fifth grade and go to sixth grade and that around here is changing schools. And that's a big deal, but I don't think any of he or any of his friends really have any kind of nostalgic connection to their elementary school. All the parents are an absolute wreck. I'll just, you know, <laughs> but the, the kids don't get it. You know, the kids aren't, it, it, it's just, it was one school and I'm going to another school and like, it, it, it is what it is. But I think that transition from eighth grade to high school is a real, like high school is a thing. You know, people talk yeah. about high school. They write books about high school. There's TV shows set in high school, you know, and it has this sort of door to it. Like you're crossing a threshold moment. And whether you believe in, you know, care for that sort of thing or not, I think you can't really avoid it. So it makes a lot of sense to me that a musical about life transitions would be something that would appeal to you in the same way. I think that like when I was 14, a big musical for me was Company. And oh, obviously- yeah you know, a lot of that had to be like what, when, when I found it, but it was also the connection of just being like, this is a character who's sort of lost and wandering and trying to figure out where he fits in. And that all fits with being 14. Yeah. I was going to say eighth grade was also the, um, the year that I dove headfirst into Marilou we roll along, which is still, Ah. 
like maybe my favorite Sondheim score, mm-hmm. probably like definitely my favorite Sondheim score. And um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of overlap there in terms mm-hmm. of talking about transitions and the repercussions that your, that your decisions have and that your mistakes have and um, the overall kind of anxiety of becoming someone and what being successful in art is. Um, I mean, we could talk for days about the Sondheim influences. And t- well, t- let's t- talk t- about the Sondheim because <laughs> they, they don't, they aren't how you say subtle um, yeah. <laughs> on purpose. I mean, I think it's a really smart idea to, um, for him to be so, uh, so up up front about it, and he did win. I'm trying to find the date on this, but he did yeah, win the Sondheim Award, Sondheim Prize for I believe hosing the furniture, unless I'm mistaken. Oh, is that true? I believe that's that's what happened. I'm going to confirm mm-hmm. that. Um, but and there's a very famous picture of the two of them. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. together. And yes, of course it was. Sondheim. It was he. Yeah, he won in 1989 uh, the Stephen Sondheim Award for um hosing the furniture yeah um so so how how familiar are you with the actual book and plot synopsis of tick tick boom because stephen sondheim is actually alluded to quite a bit yes not (laughs) well but he's not yeah i mean right (laughs) it's yes i I did see that in the synopsis and then this it's even more clear in print when it's like st dash 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 but it but it is if you get it. I mean, especially because it comes after. I mean, Sunday brunch. Yeah. Yes. Is like I will say I had forgotten about Sunday. Like it, which and it was last night in preparation for uh, another podcast. Um, in preparation for my Patreon podcast, original cast of the movies, become a patron. Original uh, Patreon dot com slash original cast pod. Yes, original cast pod. That's the website. Um. I watched Six by Sondheim, the documentary, oh, yeah. which closes with Sunday. And yeah. so that song was in my, which is it's one of my favorites. It's my favorite musical. It's one of my favorite songs, blah, blah, all that. So, but that song was like fresh in my ears this morning when I clicked on Tick, Tick, Boom to start listening. And when it hit, it was one of like, it took me out of myself. I like had to sit up and be like, oh, right. Oh my gosh, right. And it really like for the first, I think for the first time ever, I really listened to that song. Like really, really hard. I love that song. It's so I think good. that it you you listen to Tick Tick Boom and you can just hear that these were solo songs written for a solo voice that someone yes. came in and augmented with two other voices. Um, but I think Sunday is the best one that really integrated the whole ensemble. Sunday in the blue silver chromium diner on the green purple yellow red stools sit the fools who should eat at home instead they pay on Sunday Or a bagel on the soft green cylindrical stools sit the fools drinking cinnamon coffee or decaffeinated tea. 
house honey in the park with george when you heard tick tick boom yes okay um that was another one where when i was like 12 13 i just got very into it that was really like a formative time for me in terms mm-hmm. of musical theater i was listening to and i got so into sondheim it was ridiculous um i would like read sondheim biographies and bring them with me to school because i was a cool kid you were super cool right no that's, that's what cool. i did so i you um, know yeah and um <laughs> And I must have seen it before Tick, Tick, Boom, but there Mm. was that like 2003, 2004 documentary series on PBS, Broadway, The American Musical. Mm -hmm. And the DVD set had an extra of Jonathan Larson singing Sunday. Oh my gosh. And I must have watched that before I even knew what Tick, Tick, Boom was, but when I knew what Sunday was, and I feel like I would have been confused by it, just like not quite getting it him singing sunday from this show or him singing sunday from sunday in the park with george sunday from tick tick boom oh wow sunday in the blue silver chromium diamond (laughs) on the green purple yellow red stools sit the fools who should eat at like a really random extra like they talk about rent and they talk about sunday in the documentary but it's just randomly an extra on this dvd set um oh my gosh and uh so that's floating around there somewhere but i must watch that before even knowing about tick tick boom but yeah um big sondheim fan i got also really into company which like the parallels with company with the impending birthday and analyzing your life and your relationships Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm sure is no mistake. No, and it, yeah. I, I'll tell you a song that reminded me a lot of Company. Even though it, this might, I, I wonder if you agree with this. Was therapy? I was afraid that you'd be afraid if I told you that I was afraid of intimacy. If you don't have a problem with my problem, maybe the problem simply codependency. Say I was wrong about you being wrong When you rang to say that The ring was the wrong thing to bring If I meant what I said What I said brings bored me I'm not mad that you got mad When I got mad When you said I should go drop dead If I were you and I'd done what I'd done I'd do what you did when I gave you the ring Having said what I said Oh, yeah, no, I can see that Not in any musical way or in even any direct parallel, but it just feels like if that was a cut song from Company, I wouldn't be shocked. It was these two yeah. people talking in this sort of psychobabble yeah. past each other, at each other, and to each other. It just feels very Company to me. Yeah, musically, it's not Sondheimian at all, but yeah. it's psychologically, it's there. Yeah, it has that New York neurosis, funny, <laughs> but also deep, like there is a, an undercurrent even though I would say the show is ultimately 
uplifting, you know, ultimately goes to the, the place you wanted to go. Um, and I do enjoy the twist. I wonder if it's, if it was Auburn's or if it was Jonathan Larson's that, um, that Michael is kind of the one who pushes John does, you know, is a true friend to him and sort of makes him continue instead yeah. of when, when John's about to give up and his, his very wealthy friend and, and sort of join him in the rat race. And his friend's like, nah, mm-hmm. I don't think you want to do this. Uh, which is really nice. Cause I think up to that point, you're kind of wondering why are you two friends? But yeah, that I realized how non-sympathetic I am <laughs> to John, I think. Oh, so this is okay. This is interesting because this is a, obviously a big problem people have with rent. That like, mm. there's a lot of the people who are just like, just pay your damn rent, like shut up and do your thing. But, and it's very hard for me to explain to people who weren't alive in the mid nineties, like exactly why that sentiment makes sense to me. Like I agree on one level, yeah. but on another, I'm like, yeah, but you had to be there. Like we were kind of, uh, I was 16. I wasn't really there, but I remember people yeah, that were yeah. there. You know what I mean? Um, but this has a little bit of that too, a little of the antisocial, a little of the sort of what it's got er, late eighties, early nineties, Bohemia values mm-hmm. to it that I think can sound kind of alien to a modern. I just, I, I was just thinking how, like when I finally got to sit and watch it and see it in its totality in 2014, mm-hmm. I remember just thinking to myself, you know, Lin-Manuel, you're a charming guy and all, but he's like, what is, what is John's mindset here? Like what, some of his decision-making just seemed a little bit off to me. I'm thinking, well, he's flirting with Carissa. So like, clearly he shouldn't pursue things with Susan. Like where, where Mm. is the, where, I don't know, things, things about this show to me have, I, I don't want to say that they haven't aged well, um, but as I've gotten older, I think I've started seeing John as a little bit more of an anti-hero. <laughs> yeah, I think he is an anti-hero. I don't, I don't think that. It's a funny thing. I, it, it's like, um, oh, man, there's a character. He's on the tip of my tongue. Where, you know, what it reminds me of? Actually, this isn't the example I was trying to come up with, but this works too. It's a little bit like joe gideon in all that jazz Mm. i don't think we're supposed to love john i don't think the point is that we're supposed to think john is a hero john's a good guy Mm -hmm. john's a savior i think we're supposed to just think john's a guy oh you know who i'm thinking it's so hard to do it is narrative of jonathan larson's death and Mm -hmm. legacy consistently hanging around the show you know what it reminds? Yeah, the thing I was trying to think of was yes. uh, last five years. Mm, yes. It, it, the, well. there's, there's a certain, but let me let me tell you why. There's a. <laughs> I, I think that Jason Robert Brown, in an effort to to create a balance between two characters, one of whom is definitely him, mm-hmm. and to not make the him character come off as too good. He has him do some very, very overtly bad things. And so he ends up becoming very divisive. You're just like, I like him or I don't like him. You know what I mean? Like it becomes, you pit these two characters against each other because instead of having like 
flaws but also redeeming qualities and like kind of a balance to it jamie can kind of go from yin to yang like really quickly because it was almost as if he was writing along and being like oh man he's been too good of a guy i gotta write something i gotta write something really bad like right now um and i think this show might have a little bit of that in it where in an effort to create a character who was autobiographical and balanced like recognizing i'm not a perfect person i have flaws mm-hmm there is an effort every now and again, he just does overtly jerky kind of weird, selfish things. It's interesting to think about, you know, how much of that might've been David Auburn Mm -hmm. trying to say, like, we're trying to really elevate John, Jonathan's life, but like also got us kind of stay true to this sort of story that we want to tell. So that's a really interesting conundrum to think about. Well, it is unfair because he died. Yeah. You know, tragically. And it's not a, that's not what the show's about. The show's not about a character who would be dead in six years, but it's written by a guy who would be dead in six years. And so it, mm-hmm. every, every single word has, I mean, it's like James Dean, you know, James Dean only made five movies, however many movies he made. And so they're all mm-hmm. scrutinized, you know, by film stories and examined and every single, because it's all we have. That's the whole totality. And with Jonathan Larson, we have, you know, four cds you know three shows one of which is a compilation you know yeah. not even a finished show that's all we've got and so it gets it gets so much weight each individual song each individual character each individual moment gets so much more weight than it was ever supposed to have it is really sad to think about i do think it's interesting we're talking about this couple weeks away from the 25th anniversary of Jonathan Larson's death. Yeah, that's true. Because um, I yeah. saw the date and I was like, oh, oh man. Yeah, that's yeah. when you were 14, did you sort of view the character as Jonathan Larson and therefore somebody to be admired? The character I of think Jonathan? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say pretty strongly, yes. Um in my mind, anyone who composed anything on Broadway was a superstar. Sure. Um and Unfair. have yeah and i mean honestly be like yeah if you can yeah no fair are absolutely a superstar totally fair um but i think that i definitely took it more to heart than i would looking at it now Mm -hmm. as a more mature theater practitioner um i would say Mm -hmm. and lover of theater and just having more knowledge of it um and I definitely saw it as I saw it as very real Mm. I saw it I saw it as really drawing from real life like rent was drawn from real life quotation marks around big 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 quotation marks around that um and so yeah and it's just it's part of this kind of folklore that I don't think I just, I think it's really inescapable. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. It's yeah. And it, well, so I wonder how, as the show has grown and as it's grown, as you've grown in your sort of development, do you, what, what, what has changed for you about this show as you sort of 
grow and develop and change. We keep coming back to it, obviously, and enjoying it. And, you know, yeah. is a show you put up as, as, a, as a big influence. What, what is, how has it changed, grown or diminished for, for you? Um, well, as I mentioned before, I definitely listen to some of the lyrics now and I'm just mm. like, this is not as deep as I thought it was. This like, <laughs> I don't even really know sometimes what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Sorry, John. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But at the same time, the show has grown to be, like I said, I have such great memories associated with it from my freshman year of college. And so like, that's very, very special to me. I still think 3090 is mm. one of my favorite songs. That song is a bop. Mm-hmm. That song is great. Um, I will probably listen to it at the end of the day, the day before I turn 30. Like that, that is probably <laughs> how I will, or, or start my 30th birthday, just rocking it. Yeah, out there you go. Party. That's the way to go. Um, because I just, I love it. And um, so I think, I think that that's very important to me. I think that now I have a little bit more perspective on this side because in both Rent, I feel like both Rent and Tick, Tick, Boom, Jonathan Larson kind of pitted making money against making art in a very, very stark. A very 90s way. Oh, yes. Very, very. (laughs) Yeah. It's more successfully in this show. I think than he did in rent. And I think being, I think now I see that there's more of a nuance. There's more nuance to that kind of, to that kind of conflict. What is the song, the song where he's listing like all the roommates he had and. Boho days. Oh, Boho days, which is the cut song. Yeah. This is the life. Bo, 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 bo. This is the life. Bo, 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 bo. This is the life. Revolving door roommates, prick up your ears. 14 people in just four years. Anna, Max, and Jonathan, and Jonathan, and Carrie. David, Tim, no, Tim was just a guest from June to January. Margaret, Lisa, David, Susie, Stephen, Joe, and Sam. And Elsa, the bill collector's dream who still is on the lamp. So so the the cast album has Jonathan Larson performing it at the end. Right. Um, and for the life of me, I can still sing you like every lyric of Tick, Tick, Boom, but mm-hmm. I cannot get the roommate rap down in Buffalo Days. <laughs> I have five. And I just gave up at a certain point because um, it was right. just too difficult for me. But yeah, Boho Days, um, I think. 14 really- roommates in four years. That's the lyric I was thinking of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's such a good, such a good little button for such a weird little cast album. I do love that. Yes. Well, and it makes it, but a lot of those ideas and themes make their way into No More. Yes. Of the, that, that's what I was confusing it with. Whereas is because a lot of that same, like the kitchen, the showers in the kitchen and you're getting soap Mm -hmm. on the cornflakes, like all that is also rewritten for no more. So it, 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 the the two kind of go, you, which is another great reason to have a song like Boho Days on there. Yeah. It'd be like, this is where it started and this is what it became, Mm -hmm. which is, I always like stuff like that. He has such interesting ends to songs. Is mm-hmm. something that I realized listening through this and listening through Rent, um, and even even some on the Jonathan Larson project. Since um, I I've been listening to SOS pretty much on repeat mm-hmm. for a week. I have footsteps down the hall. 
They were right outside the door This may be the curtain call I know you heard this all before Does it matter anymore? It does in 1984 I'm right in 1984 I asked why That's what I say Make a try It's only a play It really struck a chord in me the day of the, the riot at the Capitol. Sure. And um, just the end of that song mm-hmm. in 1984. Yeah. Just, oh, there's that. There's, you know, um, the end of One Song Glory, you mm-hmm. know, The Door, and yeah. the lead into the next song. There's just, he, he's very, he has these very interesting buttons on songs that I don't think I quite grasped for a while for a long time until I was sitting here and I was trying to think of like musical stylings that were similar in Tick Tick Boom and in Rent. Um, There's a couple others that I can't think of at the moment Um, but it's almost like he is not ready to quite be finished with the song I found. Well, that's, that's like what it inspires in me. That's like the idea that it inspires in me that there's there's a continuation here. Sure. And it's not he's not afraid. I mean, he's not afraid of a button, but he's also not afraid to not have a button. Oh, he's yeah. He's not afraid to let a song just drift away. I mean, like we've referenced yeah. it before, but like Halloween just drifts off into that. So, you know, does it mean that that's the end and I'm alone and we just fade into the next part of the song when Roger's leaving and Mm -hmm. it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a clean finish to it because the song Mm -hmm. doesn't deserve it. And, and he really has a good sense of this song needs a button, like um, what you own needs a button. That's, that's a rent. These -hmm. songs need to slam. They need to really, really hit. And some songs don't. Some songs just need to yeah. fade away. And it's real, real life is one of those. Real mm-hmm. life is this real life, and it it ends, but it ends on kind of a like a half cadence. Like you're you're. It's, it's not musically a half cadence, but I kind of get like this sense that it that it is. What more do you want? something like 
why, which ends so beautifully. And I love that we're getting that variety from him. Well, this whole I, show ends in a very non buttony yes. way. I mean, he <laughs> sits down and he plays Happy Birthday on the piano. Yeah. And then it's just sort of done. Well, that's all he can do. That is right. all he can do is keep moving forward with this knowledge that he's really, he's not going to be in a relationship with Susan. Mm-hmm. His friend is sick. Yeah. Um, he, but, you know, at least he has this conversation with Stephen Sondheim, who thought that the workshop went well. Right. It might be like my favorite cameo in theater ever. Yeah. Um, and so I love that he kind of looks at what's going on around him as he's turning 30 and he's like you know it's a mixed bag but it's what I got to work with Mm -hmm. so I you know Mm -hmm. maybe there's no use in there's no use in stressing and there's no there's no use he actually says at the end the tick tick ticks are getting softer like they're still there but they're getting softer Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's actually a really beautiful sentiment Mm -hmm. it absolutely is and again I mean the whole show the whole metaphor is of time ticking away yeah to an explosion then adopts an entirely different meaning when you put real life on top of it I mean, it really does. Like, it is just, it's, you know, I said at the beginning, it was spooky. It is very spooky that this is, this is what he wrote. This is what he was working with. And obviously it was different when it was just him and it was a concert, but it's still the general, that these were the thoughts that were consuming his mind. And it turns out he was right. You know, it was a good thing he left it all on the floor because he really didn't have that much time. And Mm -hmm. He left behind fragments of great shows, uh, one that will stand, you know, the test of time. Yeah. Uh, and another one, that, I mean, I think this is, the, the thing I'm really hopeful for is that the movie really introduces this show to, people will finally hear it. I feel like Tick, Tick, Boom yeah. is a show that people know it's the other show that Jonathan Larson wrote, but how many people can tell you, A, what it's about, or B, hum a tune from it? I'm very excited for that. I'm very excited to see how the script is written. I do know that um, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who's the director of programming at 54 Below, and she's mm-hmm. a musical theater historian and produced Jonathan Larson Project. I know that she's been involved, um, which makes me optimistic for just like being a dramaturg and being mm-hmm. a history nerd, what kind of historical information or tidbits are going to work their way into the script. And just give us maybe a, a different understanding of Jonathan's life. I think that that, I could honestly see them going kind of in that direction, even though, as we keep saying, you know, John is not necessarily, does not have to be Jonathan Larson. But I do want to ask before, yeah. before we finish. So you started out, obviously, I think as all of us do in your interest in theater as a performer, how oh, did yeah. that morph into dramaturgy which is as as dana Didi and i agreed the most sacred profession oh, how, man. Did, how did that how did that happen i um i was in high school and i was mm-hmm. doing all the plays and um my high school theater director um who is now actually i think he's like the he's an associate artist i want to say at theater works hartford mm-hmm. um and so he ended up pursuing a professional career in theater as well. He um, 
asked if anyone was interested in being a dramaturg for this production of Our Town we were going to do. Mm. And I was like, that sounds cool. Because um, it ended up being history and English and theater and like all these things that I love. And so I'm thinking, this is really great. Like, I love research projects. Like, cool, sign me up. And I did it and I really enjoyed it. And then I um, you know, finished high school and I went to college and it became clear that I had like next to no real performance talent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I, at the same time, I was still very interested in dramaturgy and theater history and all Mm. of this. So I ended up um, just kind of making the switch into that. I ended up transferring out of GW to Barnard College in New York. and focusing on dramaturgy there. And it's just kind of led me from there. And um, I listened to the Into the Woods episode you did with Bridget. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you went <laughs> to Catholic. I actually got I my master's from Catholic a couple years ago. What it is, I mean, this is like, if you listen to Dana Mai's episode, we, we, we talk a lot about the importance of dramaturgy. And it is a funny funny thing in theater where I think that starting in like actually probably around like 2001 it became mandatory that every like small independent theater production had a dramaturg on it whether the dramaturg was actually doing anything at all let alone dramaturgy was questionable (laughs) but you know, it became a buzzword. <laughs> no, it definitely is. And a lot of people, what's really funny is the number of people in theater who have said to me, well, I know what a dramaturg is because of that whole thing with Rent, because the dramaturg, because Lynn Thompson um, said that she essentially like wrote or like- Oh, right, Rent. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like sued. Yeah. And lawsuit and yeah. Yeah, so that's and. So that kind of gave dramaturgs a bad name for a while. Is well, what I is what I've is that really kind of, well. That's kind of what I've gathered from the professional dramaturgs I've talked with who've been mm. around the business a lot longer than I have. Is that mm-hmm. they feel like the rent lawsuit really like did them dirty. Um. Well, and there was a time where dramaturgy was sort of the ultimate. It's like casting. It's where people wound up. You know, like people who weren't writers or weren't directors, they went into like they couldn't make it in that. So they ended up in casting or in dramaturgy. And all the the dramaturgs I met for many years were very old, bitter people Mm -hmm. and who would were the people who you'd go out to dinner. You're working on a show with them and you go to dinner and they'd spend the whole dinner reciting their resume, you know, and it was like, that's (laughs) so happy you were at a cocktail party with Julie Andrews. That's really nice. Um, But all that aside, the, my my experience, it's so funny. I mean, it's better than knowing, knowing about who a, what a dramaturg is from Rent is better than knowing about it from Smash, obviously, which is a show that had no idea yep. what dramaturg did even worse. They, did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that. yeah, that felt like a plot that was really taken from the real life drama of Rent. It was really, it was pretty <laughs> funny. I remember, I, I don't remember if that's where I jumped off Smash, but I jumped off somewhere around there. But I remember thinking, like, it's so funny. It's so funny you could have a profession on a show and your portrayal of that profession demonstrates you don't have someone in that profession working on the show. Yeah. Because like, if you had a dramaturg on the show, this would not be happening right now. The dramaturg would not live in would that not, apartment. No. And also wouldn't allow this whole thing. It would be like, yeah, no. um, hi, I'm the one. 
<laughs> drive a Totocorolla hatchback. Like, can you please stop? But I think it is, yes, it is a misunderstood, underappreciated job. Uh, and I, I think that the importance of, for, for a writer having someone to talk to who is 100% on your side <laughs> is, yeah. is the most valuable thing in the world because, you know, whenever, every time I've done a production, you know, everyone, I've, I've never felt like anyone was working against me. I shouldn't say mm-hmm. that, but it is just genuinely nice to have somebody there whose only job is to support you and mm-hmm. will always tell you the truth. And th- from a, from a writing standpoint, you know, like there's all the practicalities of the direction and performing in the space and the cast and all this sort of, like there's all these little things. That's the director's thing. But having that voice and that guide next to you who's read several drafts also who remembers several drafts mm-hmm. that's very important uh and can bring help the script f- through and let you focus on actually doing the writing aspect of it is absolutely invaluable and so i'm so glad that people are doing it i'm so glad you're still doing it <laughs> and i'm glad you yeah. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pandemic notwithstanding, you're doing it in our town. So I appreciate yeah. that. Great. <laughs> yeah, the pandemic's been pretty, pretty tough on a lot of dramaturgs and literary. Well, it's managers, been right tough. On, yeah, it's things are tough all over. Uh, That's so. true. That's very true. <laughs> so just pod up there for a while, stay healthy, and we'll see you in the fall when everything starts up again. Uh, hopefully, yeah. won't that be lovely? Uh, but swipping around back to to uh, tick tick boom real fast, I do have to ask, what's your favorite song? Oh man. Oh God. Probably, probably why? Like it's really close really? between 39 and ah, why. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, why would be pretty high on my list. I think when I was younger and you'd ask me, I would have been like louder than words, obviously. Cause louder than words is, it's oh, louder than words. Yeah. It's great. Um, but I also think now again, getting older, going towards 30, mm-hmm. the idea of being able to look back and seeing these moments when you were doing what you love and thinking, oh yeah, I want to spend my time this way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I've been working in theater pretty much on like on and off. Not, I don't even want to say on and off, but I've been freelancing in theater and in arts administration since I graduated college um, almost eight years ago. And like, it's, I mean, you'll agree. It's, it's not easy. Nope. It's, n- it's not for the faint of heart. Not I mean, at all. I'm not saying anything. Anybody probably listening to this podcast doesn't know. Right. Um, and there are those days when you just want to give up and give in mm-hmm. <laughs> back to quote from the song. It, it just may be time to give in. And, you know, I think it's, I think that why, shows us a John shows us the moment when John is decided that no, he's not going to give in. He's going to keep going. And no matter, you know, what, what this world that he's trying to be so that he's trying to, to be in so desperately, no matter what it throws at him, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to keep going. Cause that is what he has done. And that is what he's always done. And I actually find that really reaffirming. Um, it's really hard to be in the arts right now. Even mm-hmm. if like, I am so incredibly lucky that I am still employed right now, 
Um, I can't overstate that enough. So many of my friends are not as lucky and it, my heart just breaks for them, watching them leave this industry that they've given their blood, sweat and tears to for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause they're being, cause it's, it feels like the world is not giving them that option. Um, I, I feel like no matter what is coming down the pike, that's something that I don't want to lose. Um, that kind of the essence of that song. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I can say, I can say, I can be snarky about it all I want and say like, I don't always know what he's trying to get at. And I don't know if I'd like the show, if I listened to it for the first time today, but I think that it really gets at the heart of some crucial emotions and crucial issues that um, we could use a little bit more of. We could use a little bit more introspection into those right now. I think that's perfect, Alexandra. Thank you very much. That's great. See, the wisdom of a dramaturg, gang. This is what we're here for. Uh, Thank you so much. This is wonderful to revisit the show, uh, which honestly I would not have listened to. Yeah, if if you hadn't said so, and so that's just so great to to be. It's able to really to been a joy revisiting and re revisiting what Jonathan Larson's work has meant for me in my life. Um, so thank you so much for inviting me on. Sure. After <laughs> after I shared personal information on Twitter, which adults always told me not to do. Right. Well, you know. Well, speaking of Twitter, where can people find you online? <laughs> what front-facing um, social media do you have? Yeah, I'm a, I'm on Twitter and I'm at um, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I'm at Alexandra D Lee. Uh, Lee is spelled L E Y. I know it's so it, it looks like Lay, but it, I pronounce it Lee. That's pretty much all where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if people want to tweet at me about my Mandy Patinkin origin story. <laughs> sure. Hey, you've come to the right podcast. <laughs> learn for that learn about that. When I was nine, Michael and I entered a talent show down at the Y. 9 a.m. went to rehearse by some stairs. Mike couldn't sing. But I said, no one cares. We sang Yellow Bird and Let's Go Fly Kite over and over and over till we got it right. When we emerged from the YMCA, Three o'clock sun had made the grass Hey, I thought, hey, what a way to spend a day Hey, what a way to spend a day I make a vow Right here and now I'm gonna spend my time this way. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. 
The Original Cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Alexandra Lee for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. 9 a.m. I write a lyric or two. Mike sings a song now on Mad Avenue. I sing, come to your senses. Defenses are not the way to go. Time this way.